Alright guys, welcome to episode 49 of Beef's Beef. Uh, I'm always trying to give you new guests, uh, even if it's people that you may not know. It's just people that are close to me or have you know, have had a, an impact on my life in some way. And today i got a special guest with me. Um, drove out here to his house. It is actually my senior year, which I know some of you that know me after high school wouldn't ever guess that I played basketball in high school, but I did. Uh, my senior year, varsity basketball coach. Mr. JT Anderson, how you doing, man? Doing well. Left, how you doing, buddy? I'm good. Thanks I'm for good. Having me on today. Absolutely. So, um, JT was uh, he? Like I said, he came my senior year. Uh, was with was coaching before he came to Portland. Uh, I'm not going to take any of his thunder. I'm going to let him, you know, kind of do his thing and, and and talk about that stuff. Uh, but he is also a graduate of Portland Christian, which is where I went to high school. So. Why don't you tell some tell everybody what you did before you came to Portland, and what you've done since you or when you came and coached at Portland, and then you know kind of what you're doing now and what you did in between there. Yeah, absolutely. So it's a long story. So I'll try to keep this as thirty thousand foot as possible. <laughs> Maybe if we have some cool stories along the way. But uh, I always realized I wanted to be around athletics um, from a young age. You know, grew up playing every sport, but was attracted to basketball. And I love the symmetry of it. I love the teamwork of it. I love just how beautiful the game is. When it's played well, man, there is no game better than basketball. I absolutely agree. So I knew I wanted to do something. I also knew I was a five foot ten white dude that was not a you know, not knockdown JJ Reddick shooter. So yeah. playing at the next level is probably not gonna happen. So I decided I wanted to do the next best thing. And so I wanted to be around the game. I thought about maybe doing some broadcasting, kind of some stuff like you're doing, you know. Um, uh, But then eventually settled on coaching because I just loved working with guys and hopefully making them better and developing that rapport and that relationship with someone to where they trust you and you could speak into their life and you could speak into their game and help them get where they want to go. So I decided I wanted to coach. And um, I ended up just completely by fate, by luck, I ended up at Lipscomb University um, in college and had no idea, but one of the greatest basketball coaches of all time was the coach at Lipscomb University. It was an NAI school, uh, and Don Meyer was there. And he won uh, in his career over 900 games. When he reti- yeah, it was That's nuts. nuts. That's nuts. When he retired, he was the winningest college basketball coach of all time. Which is crazy. He passed Dean Smith, John Wooden, all those guys. Yeah. And um, I just kind of stumbled into a job with him. So I go on campus for a visit, and uh, the admission guy says, what do you want to do with your life? And I was like, I really want to coach basketball. And he's like, oh, okay, so you must be here to work with Coach Meyer. I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. So he said, <laughs> you've got to meet our basketball coach. So he takes me over to him and uh, introduces me to Coach Meyer, and I was in. And uh, you know, I talked to him for about... 20 minutes, and at the end of it, he said, look, if you come to school here, you can be a student coach. So I went to Lipscomb, was there for two years. Um, long story short, he decided to leave after at, at the end of my second year. And he had been there over 20 years. He was an institution, won a national championship. Just it, When someone said NAI basketball, yeah. they said Lipscomb University and Don Meyer. Those were the two things. So him leaving there was like, you know, Coach K leaving Duke. And he left and went somewhere else? He left. It, they wanted, the school wanted to go Division One because that was the way it was trending. Yeah. You know, you had all these small schools who have now moved up to D1. Uh, so the administration wanted to do that. He was dead set against it. He did not want to do it. So uh, he said, you know what, screw it, I'm out. So he left and took a Division Two job in South Dakota. I was not moving to South Dakota. That did not <laughs> energize me. So I didn't know what I was going to do. <clears throat> and... Um, 
uh, every year we had a huge coaching clinic because this guy was one of the best teachers of the game. So anything that I got in coaching, uh, any of the technical aspects of that, I was taught by Don Meyer, who's the best. And so I'm, I'm just so lucky. And I think that's one lesson that I share with a lot of people is that um, we're all a sum of the people that are around us and that yeah. have poured into us. And so I'm lucky to have just had a lot of really cool and awesome and highly intelligent and creative folks that have poured into me. And Coach Meyer's one of them. So we had a coaching clinic every summer. And I'm telling you, like, there'd be 500 high school and college coaches that would come onto campus, and we would bring in folks like Pat Summit, Coach K, Rick Majerus, Tubby Smith to come do this coaching clinic with Coach Meyer. And uh, this year it happened to be Rick Majerus. And so, huge I'll, Rick Majerus fan. I'll, I'll have to ask you some stories about him off, okay. the, off this. Because... Yeah, they're, they're, they're kind of X-rated <laughs> yeah. and R-rated for sure. But I got the job of... I was his gopher or his runner the entire weekend that he was there. Oh, wow. So I, I spent a lot of time with Coach Majerus that weekend, and it was just incredible. So um, that weekend, I also met a guy that um, lived in Bowling Green, Kentucky. He was a high school coach there, and he said, hey, I know you're not moving to South Dakota. Um, they're looking for a student coach and head manager for the basketball team at Western Kentucky. I had no idea who the coach even was at Western Kentucky University. I had almost went to U.K., um, Tubby Smith offered me to go up there and, and uh, be a student manager and student coach as well. Uh, I almost pulled the trigger on that, um, but then Western came in and offered me some money to go there and a scholarship. So I'm like, all right, like get your school paid for to, to go work basketball. Let's do it. So I ended up at Western Kentucky University and, again, stumbled into a great relationship with a head coach, and it was Dennis Felton. So I get to Western Kentucky, and we are terrible. And just awful. <laughs> that program had been run into the ground. Uh, coach Felton was, I believe, the second youngest Division One head coach when he got there. He was like 35, 36, which is just insane. Wow. So, honestly, I mean, he, he was just a hell in a handbasket. Yeah. And just going crazy on these dudes and <laughs> running guys off left and right. We're working all the time, but it was just amazing. To be involved in that. Well, we got really good really quick, as you know. Yeah. I was there three years. We, uh, in my last two years there, we won at Louisville and at Kentucky and stomped Kentucky on their home court. It was it was pretty fun. Made the tournament uh, last two years, got beat by Florida the first year, got beat by Stanford the second year. Um, was rated, was ranked in the top 15 my last year there, 28 and 4 record, just so cool. So and you also had Chris Marcus, had Chris and, Marcus, and Patrick Sparks, Patrick Sparks, yeah. yeah. So uh, you know you're only as good as your players. So. Yeah. <laughs> I mean that. I mean a lot of people. I mean I'm sure some people listening to this will remember Chris Marcus. Chris Marcus had the feet problem. Wasn't his feet too too thin? Ridiculously narrow feet. He had size 18 and a half shoes, but they were far more narrow than your or my feet. Yeah. It was just crazy. Uh, his feet, so he kept getting stress fractures. He also was a kid that never really loved the game, and you know it wasn't his uh, his his passion to do that every day. So I think that played into it as well that he just ended up kind of getting out of it. Doesn't it always suck to hear when you see guys like with that athletic ability and that size, and you're like me or you would love to have that? Yeah, absolutely. Because the passion that we have for the game, if we had that, then it yeah we feel like we would be the best player ever. But <laughs> guys like that are just like I kind of wish I was like you. Yeah, it's it's crazy the. How how different people are. He and, was that. Uh, I mean, he was seven foot one, three hundred pounds. So there was no hiding Chris Marcus. But I always got the sense for him. he was always really reserved, really quiet. You know, I always got the sense from him that he would much rather 
uh, be like us and be, you know, a five foot ten, yeah. just a normal guy walking around sometimes. Because he couldn't, I mean, by the time he blew up, I mean, he couldn't go anywhere on campus that people weren't asking him for autographs and taking pictures with him and stuff. And I, I just can't imagine what that life would be like. But yeah. So you, you, uh, the last year that you were there, twenty eight and four, and I guess that was Sparks' last year before he went to Kentucky. No, there was. Uh, uh, he played one more year. So I graduated and took a high school job in Nashville for a year. Uh, Coach Felton, it was his last year at Western Kentucky with Patrick Sparks, David Boyden, uh, Anthony Winchester, some folks like that. Um, so then Coach Felton gets the job at the University of Georgia uh, and calls me up, asked me to go with him. So I went with him as the director of operations uh, and was there for two and a half years. So we moved to Georgia, and I'm like, I, like I've arrived. Like I'm, you know, I'm on staff in an SEC school. This is all I've ever worked for, and I'm 20, you know, 26, 27, 28 years old. So I've got my dream job at 27, 28. So life is really good. You know, Natalie and I had gotten married. Things were great. And then my wife decides she didn't want to teach anymore. So she was going to be a teacher. She gets yeah. all the way through student teaching, comes home the last week and says, I don't want to teach. I'm like, all right, well, what are we going to do now? She goes, I don't know, but give me the summer and I'll figure out something. Well, long story short, she decides to become a doctor. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, she had an English background. And in those days, they didn't want doctors with an English background. You had to have a chemistry or biology degree. Well, she hadn't taken class one of chemistry or biology yeah. so she's foolish enough to you know because she was a straight a 4.0 student well she bombed her mcat the medical college <laughs> entrance exam which i'm thinking well yeah you don't have any biology so it forced her to either sit out a year and retake the test or she could go uh, to a caribbean medical school so she decided to do that so she went and lived in the caribbean for two years um to do her medical school her first two years and i'm coaching at georgia so I've got my dream job, but my heart is in the Caribbean. Yeah. And if you know anything about medical school, she worked just as hard as I was working in basketball, 18, 19 hour days, and you never come up for air and you're working, <laughs> you know, 14 out of 15 days and she's doing the same thing. So we never saw each other. We would go six months and just see each other for like four days here and there. And that's not a recipe for a good marriage. No. So it got to the end of it after two years of that. And I, I just felt like I had to make a decision. Did I, you know, there was never going to come a time where I could control where I was coaching, and there was never a time in the foreseeable future that she could control where she was in med school. So um, one of us had to get out of it. Well, she's already too much in debt to get out of it, <laughs> especially if go back and be a teacher, you know, yeah. we end up in, the, uh, in bankruptcy. So I decided to get out of it. So I thought, man, I've cashed my ticket. I'm done. And uh, I've worked my entire life. I'm in my mid-20s. I'm having a midlife crisis here. So um, went and coached uh, basketball at Portland Christian, which is where you came in, yeah. uh, for a year. Because I knew we were moving to New York City for her third and fourth year of med school uh, coming up. So it was just kind of a one-year thing. So uh, coached at Portland Christian, had an awesome time. We were not very good, wins and losses. No. But I do feel like we got better collectively throughout the year. Um, and it was fun to have, you know, to take – some of those lessons that folks like Coach Meyer and Coach Felton had taught me and kind of, you know, take them to the lab. I got, I got to ask you a question. So yes. coming from Here the SEC, you're, 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 you know, you're talking, Yeah. this is dream job, and then you go and you have unathletic white guys. How yeah. much of a culture shock was that? Even though you did go to Portland, I mean, you graduated, you yeah. know, what, 13 years before you came back. Yeah. There had to be a culture shock coming from – SEC athletes, and then seeing guys like me. Yeah, yeah. I, well, I, I mean, obviously there's a huge difference in past yeah. disparity just 
Let's call it like it is. But I think since I went there and knew what I was coming, knew what I was stepping into, I, I kind of was expecting it. But uh, basketball's basketball, yeah. and you know it's it's a lot slower at that level than it is at high level, you know, yeah. uh, SEC basketball. But I I was probably lucky in that I knew what I was getting into. For that. Yeah, I, did, I couldn't imagine you just being a random guy that came into that. And I guess it's. I still wanted to see your perspective on it because you had been gone for a while. So, yeah. I mean, even I'm sure when you played there, it was different. Yeah. And the, I'll tell you the biggest thing I struggled with, and I had forgotten this, and shame on me for, for forgetting it, but when you work with college athletes, that's their job 365 days a year. Yeah. They are always thinking, how do I get better at basketball? Yeah. Whereas when you step into a high school job, especially at a really small school, everybody's playing everything. You got cross country, you got baseball, yeah. you got all this other stuff. So you're only getting those guys for a limited time. Uh, and then the other times they're not thinking about you and they're not thinking about your program. They're not thinking about how to make themselves a better basketball player. Uh, so that was that was tough. Yeah. it. I, I wondered that. I was thinking about that today whenever I was you know going over stuff to finishing up stuff to talk about and everything. And I was like, I, I want to ask him that just to see. Yeah. If there was a shock because of coming from what you were doing back to it, or if it was something that after you'd been there for a little bit, you were like, I kind of remember what this was like. Yeah. yeah. So, so you, you like you said, you coached at Portland for a year, and then she went to medical school. And yeah. So we moved to New York City from there, and um, I'm without basketball for the first time in my life. And that was a really tough adjustment. So the great news was I was back together with Natalie, and we're to, we're seeing each other every day. Yeah. And we're able to finally be married again, which was awesome. Uh, but I'd given up a lot, and, and a lot of my identity was tied up in basketball. And um, so that year, that was the year that Georgia won the SEC tournament. Uh, remember they won yeah. four games in two just days saw the, after the tornado. I just saw the SEC story yeah. the other day on TV again, and I thought about I was like, man, that. I, I bet JT was. I wonder. I wondered if you were watching it the other day because they yeah. had the SEC story and talked about how they moved from the that to the small Georgia Tech arena yeah. and fans weren't even allowed to go. Like, geez, uh, just a crazy story. Yeah. And so I'm in New York City, just going nuts. And I, I remember I, I talked to Coach Felton uh, every night at, during along that, and I was like, yeah. man, you you got that one. I don't know how you're going to win this next one because <laughs> you guys are so undermanned. And, you know, you play two games today, and now you got to go back and play in the morning. I was like, you got that one. I don't know how you're getting the next one. And it seemed like every night I was calling him three nights in a row telling him that. It was just so cool. It was really neat to watch it in New York City. But um, I also was like, man, I wish I – like, I wanted to be there for my guys. Those were guys that we recruited, guys that I worked with, guys that I I loved and had, you know, had uh, sweated with and, you know, just bled with and – uh, so I wanted to be there for that. So that was a really tough adjustment. Um, so uh, I got into some sales up in New York City and, and did pretty well with that. And then um, Natalie got her residency spot back in Louisville. So we're gonna, you know, we were gonna end up moving back in Louisville. And this was like 2010. Well, we were in the process of adopting our first son from Ethiopia, which was a life-changing experience for me. And uh, I'm so thankful we went through that because that really reoriented what was important to us and what we wanted to do. So I decided for the first time in my life I wanted to do something that really mattered for vulnerable people and vulnerable children since that's, you know, we were adopting Teddy from a third world country. So uh, we're moving back to Louisville and I had no idea what I wanted to do with that or whatever. And I had a friend hit me up on Facebook and said, hey, I know you're moving back to Louisville. You're probably looking for a job. I think your skills equate 
really well to a nonprofit fundraiser, which never was on my radar. I didn't even know people did that. Um, but this person kind of sold me on it and said, this is a good way to give back and you can use your skills. So I BS my way into a job uh, with a nonprofit, <laughs> yeah. mobile, completely like, you know, just BS my way in and loved it and loved the fact that my job was to connect what was an awesome mission and some valuable work that was being done in our community to people who had resources and who wanted to help and who wanted that outlet. And I was the connector, which is so cool. So that led me to, you know, six, seven years of nonprofit fundraising and, um, which, which has been just an amazing career. Which also got you brought up on TV by former President Obama. Yep. So Which I was like, that's pretty nuts. That's the guy yeah. who coached me in high school, and he's yeah. getting mentioned by the president. BFFs with uh, yeah. President Obama. Yeah. There, so that was pretty cool, yeah. Right. So, I mean, yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. And then, I mean, not only that, I mean, that I'm sure that got you to talking to people that got this put on House Hunters. Yep. Which is another, yep. I mean, I'm just plugging you away, by the way. <laughs> I got to that. I got to yeah. throw that in there, but... Uh, you can you can Google search "love in Louisville." That's yeah. the House Hunters episode. Check that out. So uh, I might have to go down there and ride down the slide. So yes, please do. I, I had yeah. to, I saw that on there. I got I got to take a chance on that. You one. know what's so, crazy? That slide is really um, steep, and so I had to go down that thing like six times in a row because they shoot it from different angles. Yeah. And I'm, I'm I thought I was gonna blow my ACL because you're having to like stop <laughs> and you're almost standing up straight. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm gonna blow my ACL. That's funny. But so you do what you have to do for showbiz. So what was that place called that, that you worked at there? Or Family and Children's Family. Okay. So it's a it's a regional nonprofit here in Louisville that works with children who have been uh, victims of child abuse, primarily sexual abuse. Mm -hmm. So some real heavy stuff. Yeah. But uh, it just tied in with that season of life where we were, man. We just wanted to give back, and you know, you can you can't look at my story and not think it's worked out pretty well for this dude. And like yeah. I've been really lucky and stuff. So I just wanted to kind of pour that back out, however I could. And um, I never thought I would love something as much as basketball, but if I, you know, in terms of work and stuff, but if I, if something's really, really close, it's fundraising and connecting people and philanthropy and stuff like that. So you, uh, you're currently with, what is it, coaches? So now I get to marry those two, yeah. which I never thought was possible. So uh, last year, it's probably about this time, um, Mike Hamilton, who was, uh, he's the former athletic director of the University of Tennessee. Okay. So he was at Tennessee when I was at Georgia. Uh, we kind of became friends a little bit through that. And then he went on uh, to be, he's now the executive director at Show Hope, which is a large uh, orphan care and adoption nonprofit based out of Nashville. So then we became really good friends because he's adopted a couple kids from Ethiopia. We've adopted two from Ethiopia. So we always just remained in contact. Well, he also on the side is kind of like a headhunter for uh, some nonprofits. And uh, this organization came to him and was looking for a fundraiser and called me up one day. He's like, I don't know what your job is right now, but I got the job that you were created for. So he starts telling me about this <clears throat> faith-based nonprofit called Nations of Coaches. And I was blown away and I was like, I'll, I'll sign on the dotted line with him right now and I haven't even spoken to him just yeah. on what he was saying. So for the past eight, nine months, I've been with Nations of Coaches. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit about them if that's yeah, cool. Yeah, absolutely. so Nations of Coaches has been around about 10 years. Jim Haney, I don't know if you know who that is, uh, executive director of the NABC, the National Association of Basketball Coaches. Okay. So he's probably one of the top two or three most powerful men in college basketball. Yeah. And a lot of people, like the common fan, doesn't even know who he is. Uh, he's been in this role for about 40 years. Uh, he's a kingmaker in college basketball. So he... Uh, 
uh, 10, 15 years ago, he noticed that there was a lot of organizations that are serving student athletes. So you got all these campus organizations, you got FCA, you know, you got like your Christian Student Fellowship, you got all these uh, programs from the NCAA and from individual institutions that are serving these student athletes. And that's great because they need it. But he noticed where the deficit was and where his heart was, nobody was helping coaches. And there was not one organization that was serving coaches. And the lifestyle of a college basketball coach, it's really hard to explain, but it's its awful. I mean, it's really, really difficult. Yeah. Uh, unless you're one of those top-tier guys, you're not making a lot of money. And so you're really sacrificing, because you know, a lot of these people are, are highly capable leaders. Yeah. And if they're in the business world, they'd be making a ton of money, but they're not. Uh, so they're giving up a lot of that. So you're working you know, ridiculous hours. You're not getting paid a lot of money. Your career, you know, rises and falls on the decisions of eighteen and nineteen year old males. That's not a good model for it's, success. No, it's really. <laughs> I was an eighteen and nineteen year old male. I would not want my career now <laughs> to be based on what I was doing at eighteen and nineteen. Yeah. And um, it, it's just a difficult job. And the higher you ascend up that ladder, and this is something that candidly we've seen in Louisville in the past couple of years. The higher you ascend that ladder, the less people you have around you that you can a trust. Because everybody's coming at you with their hand out. Like, what can you give to them? But also, the higher you ascend up that ladder, the fewer people are around you that can speak truth into you. Yeah. And so a lot of unethical things happen when that, you know, when that occurs. So our entire organization, the mission is just to serve coaches. So he started this about 10 years ago. And it's just an incredible uh, organization. We do that through three different ways. One, we have a marriage um, uh, program that we just pour into coaches' marriages. So the divorce rate in the U.S. is 45%, okay, which is uh, that's terrible. Among college basketball coaches, it's 71%. I honestly thought it would be higher. To be 100% honest, I, right? thought, I thought it would be higher. Because, yeah. I mean, just for me, I coached at more mm-hmm. after, you know, after I left Portland and everything. And I was not even the head varsity coach, and I put in yeah. a lot of hours just helping with that. Yeah. So I'm thinking, okay, this is my full-time job. I, like you said, I'm basing those 18- and 19-year-old kids. There's no telling what that is. So you're not dealing with anything at home. Yeah. And, you don't have time. Yeah. So in the years that I did this in college and high-level basketball, um, I honestly can count on about one hand the number of good husbands and fathers that I either worked with or was closely associated with. Now, Dennis Felton is one of them. There's not a better husband and father at that level of basketball than Dennis Felton. Now, would you say that that was more attributed to to not having time or just the way the person was? Uh, it, it's mostly time. So when you get to that level, you have to give up something. Yeah. And so it's a question of what are you going to give up? And most guys just neglect their families and they neglect their, their wives. So that's what really spoke to me about my nations of coaches is that Man, if I could be a part of helping salvage that and pour into guys as their husbands and their fathers, that's a—I mean—that's right up my alley. So we uh, we have like marriage weekend retreats where we'll take fifty coaches and their spouses yeah. and get away for a weekend and just kind of pour into them. We'll bring in high-level speakers that talk to them. Um, we offer free counseling for any coach and their spouse, no questions asked. If they're going through something and they want counseling, we'll pay for it, uh, which is really neat. Um, and our second program, uh, we kind of do some leadership stuff. So we want to help guys, A, get their next job, 
and then B, when they get that job, we want to help them leave a legacy of excellence on and off the court. Yeah. So we really pour into them to developing into the leader that they can be proud of, developing into the leader that God made them to be. Yeah. So we do a lot of uh, like TED Talks we send out to folks. Okay. And we have former college coaches on our staff that will you know be pouring into their lives and helping them be the best coach they can be. Uh, and then the third thing we do is our character coaching. And this is probably what we're known the most for. Um, so I was saying, you know, coaches don't really have an outlet. They don't have somebody that can speak into them, somebody they trust, that they know. So what we do is we give them that. So a coach can come to us and say, I'd like a character coach on my staff. And we will go out and find someone. Uh, and we'll bring them like three candidates, and they get to pick who they want. And that person will be embedded on that staff. And their number one job is to serve that the head coach, the assistant coaches, the GAs, the video guys, the support staff in the office. Uh, and then also serve the players as well. It's kind of like a you know, uh, football, they would call it kind of like a chaplain. Okay. We call it a character coach. Okay. Um, but we're in over 100 colleges and universities throughout the country. Um, places like North Carolina, Kansas, Maryland, Texas A&M, Baylor, Auburn, Tennessee, Alabama. So Some not really big places. Big yeah. places, yeah. Yeah, and, but then all the way down to junior colleges, Wallace State uh, down in Alabama and you know, northern Kentucky and some places like that up here as well. So you you guys aren't in Louisville? Not in Louisville. That would be a dream for me. Yeah. I, I've, I mean, judging just by what I've seen of Chris Mack, I think it's probably only a matter of time before that happens. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mean, I've never met the guy personally, but everything that I've seen and everything that I've heard for, from people yeah. firsthand that have known him, like by the guy that I coach with at Moore, had I mean his best player yeah plays went for, to Quentin yeah right? Quentin Gooden yeah. so I mean he played for Mac so I mean Richard went on visits with him and knows yeah. Chris Mack personally I mean just the things that you hear about Chris Mack obviously you're gonna hear great things in the media but you're also gonna hear bad things but everything that I've heard from people that met him firsthand yeah it's nothing but good I'll things. tell you uh, the one thing that impresses me first off he's a great coach great yeah. recruiter like he connects with guys really well yeah. uh, but I've had several guys tell me um, that know him uh, they say he's a really good dad. And you can see that through his social media and yeah. stuff. Like, I, I read an article, and this is part of what's wrong with college basketball. It was it was written and portrayed like it was almost weird or it was wrong that he doesn't go in the office until like 9 o'clock. Like, he'll stay at home, help get his kids ready. He may take them to school or he'll see them off to school. Yeah. But he wants to have that morning time, and then he goes in the office at 9. Well, you know, most college coaches, they, I mean, they we sleep were, there. We were in the office at 6. If we were there... After six a.m., it was like, oh my gosh, where's JT at? Right, now? Yeah. you know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. Uh, but he's like, no, I'm just, I'm not doing that, and I really respect that. And he wins. Yeah. Uh, so I just think that's really cool. I, I don't know if you saw this. So you talk about that article. Did you see he took his daughter on a recruiting trip? Yes. I mean, that's you yeah, don't see of. that. No. And I think that that's going to speak to families, the because they say, well, you know, he's bringing his kids because he doesn't want to miss family time. I mean, he's yeah. obviously going to treat my kid the same way that he's right. going to treat his family. Yeah. He, home run higher. Oh yeah, and that's part I, of the is, reason why. It, it's, I mean, I'm not going to bash Patino because obviously Patino is a great coach, one of the best coaches of all time. I wasn't a fan of his character or what yeah. a lot of the things that were around him. This it's this is Denny Crum part two to me. Yeah. It's, it's what it is. It's a guy that seems like a very good guy. That's a great coach. Yeah, and that wants to be here. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if like I said, I, I brought I brought up the Denny Crum interview. I don't know if you heard it. He he got offered the UCLA job yes. after he was here. Yep. I didn't know that. Yeah. And the fact that he told me, I mean, that was like, I, I feel like Chris Mack is going to be another Denny Crum and he will retire here. Yeah. And I, I, like you said, home run, home run hire. So yeah. 
That is that's crazy that you're in so many. I didn't realize that you guys were that big because honestly, I'd never even heard of it. Yeah, probably like you hadn't heard of it until that guy called you. By the time I had gotten out of coaching, uh, they had, they hadn't even started yet. So no, I had never heard of them. But man, the more I looked into it and called some folks that I still know that are in the game, they told me, yeah, I trust those guys. I really like them. So that's the big thing is that we are able to open doors because coaches know and trust us. Yeah. And, you know, it's it's difficult to get in with a coach if they don't know you and trust you. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's, that's a cold call from, from hell right there trying to get in with a coach. Yeah. Uh, if they don't know and trust you. But we have that leverage because people know us. And tr- like when Roy Williams attests to your trust worthiness and you know bill self and and rick barnes well and you, like you that. said that you 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 went to a party with mike or uh, mike woodson's party yeah so uh i mean that if mike woodson's doing stuff with your yeah. with that place i mean that's a guy that's been on a high level in the nba yeah i mean Good dude he, man yeah it yeah I, i've never he, he never really talks yeah you never really see him talking that much other than real you, chill real laid back yeah so i mean if you have guys like that and then well, uh, Antonio Davis yeah. is another one. Yeah. And you get guys like that that are in the professional level. Yeah. So I mean, Antonio's a really cool story about how he became involved in our organization. His son, um, AJ, very good player in Atlanta, um, signed with Tennessee uh, to go there, played a year, and then um, I, fr- I think he was there under Quanzo Martin, and Quanzo okay. got the Missouri job. Uh, and then um, he wanted to leave. He, he didn't want to stay. So he transferred to Central Florida. And uh, so Antonio, very involved in his life, and Antonio's retired, so he, was, he would go to Orlando all the time to watch AJ. And he'd go to practice, and he said, I remember thinking, who is this guy that's not on the court but is investing in my son, and he's talking to him all the time, and he's pepping him up, and I noticed that my son is actually, like, giving him eye contact and listening to him. He's like, who is that guy? And uh, Antonio's a great dad, and uh, you're not going to slip one past him. So he was very curious. So he's like, I've got to find out who this guy is. So come to find out, it was our character coach at Central Florida, uh, Pete, who's now a regional director for hours. And uh, he helped change AJ's life, man. Just helped him grow up, start making better grades, make better decisions um, on and off the court. And Antonio was sold. So Antonio now is one of our biggest ambassadors, which yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, you have a guy that played in the Eastern yeah. Conference Finals against what some people consider the greatest of all time. Yep. A couple times. And, I mean, anyone that knows basketball around that time knows who Antonio Davis oh, yeah. is, especially in this area because yeah. he played for the Pacers. Yeah. So when I saw that picture, I texted you as soon as I saw it. Yeah. I was like, what? You hanging out with Antonio Davis? He and I were playing the, uh, the yeah, Maracas. The Maracas. The river walking. And you were like, Antonio. yeah, it's my boy. And I was like, of course. He, I shouldn't expect anything less. The guy getting shouted out by Barack Obama, hanging out with, you know, former NBA players and NBA coaches and stuff. And so now that's where you're at now. It, I mean, I'm guessing that's probably where you're retired, planning to retire from. Oh, my from. gosh, yeah. I can't see myself doing anything else. We, uh, I'm the first fundraiser they've had. So up until now, it's been the executive director and the board and just kind of piecemealing fundraising. So they knew they wanted to bring somebody in who that was their focus. And we're in the middle of um, we're, we're doing great expansion. We're going to more than double what we're doing in the next three, four years. And where's it based out of? Uh, the home office is in northern Alabama, just okay. because that's where our CEO is. But we've got folks everywhere. You know, we, we place regional directors 
who, so we got a guy who lives in Nashville, and his job is to know every coach and every program in Kentucky and Tennessee. So he'll go visit with those guys um, all the time throughout the season, just pop in, go to a game, go to a practice, make sure they're okay, help connect them if they want a character coach, make sure he's talking to them and their spouses about marriage stuff. So we got guys everywhere, Florida, all up the East Coast, Midwest, South. So is this strictly going to be a college basketball thing forever, or do you think that it's going to – uh, I mean, if, if you're allowed to talk about this, do you yeah. think that this will go beyond college basketball? Yeah, I could see us um, going to the NBA really quickly. So you think it's just strictly going to be basketball? It's not yeah. ever going to go to another sport? Yeah, I think it'll just be basketball. So going to the NBA, yeah. uh, we we I, we still text all the time, even oh, though yeah. you haven't coached me in forever. Yeah. And we talk about different things. I'm glad that you don't hate me. Oh, no, <laughs> not, not, not at all, man. I, I made you run a lot. You did, yeah. You were, I, you were in pretty good shape, though. And then, yeah, I'm, now I'm round still a shape. So <laughs> I guess you can still say I'm going to use that. that. That's applicable yeah. here. I just, I just tell everybody, you know, I'm not fat. I'm just short for my weight. That's what I try to tell people. So we had a big trade last week since I haven't had a, an episode since then was the Kawhi Leonard trade. Yeah. And honestly, I, I mean, I'm, I'm stealing this from Nick Wright just because I heard him say this. The Kawhi Leonard trade, this is the biggest superstar to be traded, I mean, since Shaq. That's a really good point. I mean, you just don't have it happen. It doesn't, yeah. You don't trade the best player on your team. Yeah. You don't do that. But he really gave them He really gave them no option. And I, I don't know how I feel about it because you, you've always heard about Kawhi. Is, Kawhi's the guy that drives the 97 Tahoe and is yeah. cutting coupons for, yeah. uh, like... Popeyes and yeah. stuff. Like he just he just seems like a normal guy, and so the the Raptors got him and Danny Green, and the the Spurs got Demar Derozan, which is not a it's not like oh man Demar Derozan. Right. Uh, another another guy named Jacob Pertle, I think it's how you say his name. Good from, young big man. From He's Utah. got a chance. Yeah. And yeah. they got a protected 2019 first round pick. So my first thought when I saw this was the Raptors lost. Because you're getting Danny Green and you're renting Kawhi Leonard for one year. So, you know, I talked to my cousin about it. My cousin's really into the NBA as well. And I'm like, I, I, I think they lost this trade. And he was like, I don't, I don't think they did. I said, I think they went east. And he goes, then how do you think that they lost the trade? I said, because I don't think they're getting Kawhi past this year. And he's like, well, and I said, my, my biggest thing was, and I'll ask what you think about this. So, you trade away DeMar DeRozan, who obviously wanted to be there, like more than anything. The right. guy took less money to stay there instead of going home in L.A. Yeah. And you sign Kyle Lowry to that big contract, and then you have the coach of the year, and you fire him. Yeah. And then you trade away DeMar DeRozan. One of those two needed to stay. Yeah. So if you're going to say, okay, well, something had to change on the team, then pick which one you want more out of DeRozan or, or Dwayne Casey. Don't get rid of both of them. To me, that was that was not a smart decision. So I'm I'm a little torn on this because I could I could look at it both ways. Um, but if we want to look at it from the Raptors won that, I just say Paul George. Paul George got traded to OKC. Yeah. And nobody in the world gave them a chance of re-signing him. Yeah. And what do you do? He's going to LA, and he re-signed there. I think the only chance that the Raptors have. And this is why it's to I, not let I, Kawhi outside from October to February. <laughs> well, I mean, he doesn't. I don't think he does anything. Yeah, that. But 
is Drake. As much as I hate to say that, I mean Drake is the biggest is the biggest thing for Toronto. But if you think about it, Kawhi doesn't seem like the type of guy that really cares about that type of stuff. Whereas OKC, you have Russell Westbrook, and that's what I think ultimately was like. Hey, I'm Paul George is like, I can play with this guy, and if if we keep playing together, we're gonna figure it out. And up there, you have Kyle Lowry. You have solid pieces. I definitely think they can win the East. I'm I'm saying they're going to, because I'm. So you're, I, you're calling it. For I, I think they'll win the East. So here's what I, I think their GM um, realized that the worst place you can be in the NBA now is either not at an elite level and not terrible. Yeah, so lukewarm. Middle, yeah. That middle twenty yeah. to twenty four teams is not where you want to be. And the status quo just wasn't working there. And I think when LeBron left, yeah, and he saw okay, Cleveland's out of the picture. Yeah, you've got, and then the two other teams who everybody's assuming Philly are going to be great. Yeah, first off, that that Boston Celtics team's not going to be the same because they never played with Kyrie or Gordon Hayward. Now you can say you're adding two top level talents, so they're going to be so much better. We don't know that. Yeah, like how are they? Gonna, how is my man going to fill? The spots and shots for all those guys. They got yeah. some players up there. Yeah. It may not work from a chemistry perspective. Now, I think it's going to, but it might not. Yeah. And then you look down the road in Philadelphia, and they didn't get better this offseason. No. So what you're banking on there is Ben Simmons decides if he's left or right-handed and that he learns how to shoot. Yeah. And then also that Markel Fultz comes back and gets better. That's a lot of questions there. So I respect the move that they made in Toronto to get Kawhi because he immediately steps in and he's – the second best player in the East to Giannis, probably. And he may yeah. be even the best. Uh, yeah, I just, my biggest thing, I would say he's the best. I, I mean, he, I would have, a healthy Kawhi to me is the top five player yeah. in the NBA. I, agree I mean, that. just with what he brings to yeah. both sides of the court. It's just, I wonder if he's going to stay there. Yeah. And now, if he stays there, Toronto yeah, won the sure. trade. Yeah. And, I, you know, I retract things I say because now you're in an Eastern Conference, which past 10, 15 years historically has been the yeah. lesser strong or the, the weaker conference of the two. Yeah. And I mean, at the right, if you're, if you're asking me right now, what are the chances that I think he stays there? I'd say probably 10%. I really don't think it's a very good, yeah. I think he wants to play in LA. I think he wants to play with LeBron. I mean, he, there's been, there's been rumblings that he texted LeBron to try to get him to go with him to LA or, or do something to yeah. try to play together. Okay. So I'm going to get back to that in a second. I got two more thoughts on Kawhi. Okay. One, Uncle Dennis won the summer. It, you know, his uncle that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Like, yes. we haven't heard a peep out of Kawhi. Yeah. Like, he just doesn't talk. Like, even since he got to Toronto, he hasn't given a press conference. He hasn't released a statement. So, he he is such the antithesis of today's modern athlete. Yes. In that I'm constantly tweeting whether I'm mad or happy or sad or I'm letting everybody know and I'm trying to get in front of a camera. He's just letting Uncle Dennis talk for him. Yeah. So I think that's interesting. But also the the mystique of the Spurs has taken a huge hit. It really has, and I wonder how long it's going to be around. Because I think I think everyone that watches and is, and, and it very intently watches the NBA, they kind of knew it was taking a hit first when Kawhi got hurt. And then it's, it actually started with Duncan. When Duncan retired, yeah. you kind of knew – Okay, things are going to start changing. Yeah. But then the next year they were really good yeah. again. And then he gets hurt in that first the first game against the Warriors, which I think they would have won that series. Do you really? He, I, I mean, they were absolutely just dog walking. They were walking. They were, game one. And it was like the Warriors had nothing for them. Yeah. And then, you know, he's out for 
pretty much the whole season, and then Pop's wife passes away. Yeah. That was when I knew. I was like, I mean, you you knew as a fan, okay, this could only last for so long, but, like, I honestly give him until he coaches that Olympic team, and then he's done. I think so, too. I, I think he's done after the Olympic team, and I, I think he's earned that. Yeah. I mean, for what he's done, I mean, I can't believe I'm even saying that. All these guys need to, can make the decision they want to anyway. Yeah. But – I mean, to me, I think he's the greatest NBA coach that there's been. Yes. I think it's I, – I, I mean, I think people that really know the game and watch the game will, will agree with that. Yeah. I mean, what he's done – I mean, he's honestly – it's kind of funny because it's about the same time period that they've done it. Him and Belichick have kind of mm-hmm. just, like, changed the yeah. games. Yeah. Like, everyone's like, well, the Spurs aren't going to be again, be good again this year, and then they go and beat the Heat in the finals. Yeah, they win 55 games yeah. every year like clockwork. Yeah, and it's like – how are they still doing this? Yeah. You got guys that are system. Yep. It's a system and guys buy in. Yep. Guys go there because they know that they're going to win. Yep. So that's what's weird about and it started about this time last year when there were, you know, Aldridge was so unhappy and said yeah. I wanted to be traded. Now they they averted that and they kind of fixed that and stuff. But then this whole protracted mess with Kawhi and you know, the, it makes you wonder, like, what really happened. Like, it, yeah. it feels like something really did happen. Because those guys threw him under the bus. You know, Parker and Ginobili came out against him and kind of threw him under the bus there. Yeah. And Pop, you know, with his non-answers yeah. uh, that he gives. <laughs> and that's just, that's the unspur thing to do. And so that's what was so interesting to me. And we'll probably never know. No. Because, uh, you know, Kawhi, who, know, who knows, though? Maybe we'll get a 30 for 30 on it. That'd be nice. That, I mean, we, we, it seems like we get 30 for 30s on everything. And it's funny now that, for me, that's almost like a, a thing in my vocabulary. Like, yeah. I, see, I can't wait to see the 30 for 30 on that one. Like, I'm sure there's going to be one on the Louisville scandal. All right, sure so what's your favorite 30 for 30? My favorite 30 for 30. Um, that's tough, man. There's so many good ones. Fab Five. Fab Five is great. That's my fave. Probably just because of the emotion that it makes me feel, and a lot of my a lot of people are gonna make fun of me for Believeland when okay. they redid it and add the three one comeback on it. Yeah. Either that one or another one that may surprise people: the Boston comeback against New York. Uh, that was great. What was it? Six days in October or yes, something. Yes, that was a very good one. Unbelievable thirty for thirty. If you haven't seen that one, yeah, that's a good. One. I'll be honest with you. I had there's only one thirty for thirty that I've watched that I didn't like. Okay. It was the one that the guys that made fantasy football. Okay. Most off the wall thing. Ever. I didn't watch it. Exactly. It, it was it was terrible. It. Yeah. It was absolutely terrible. And one that I was actually just telling your cousin Smitty about the other day that I absolutely loved, the John Calipari one. That was great. It, it was so good. Yeah. But I can't stand John Calipari. But I love that yeah. that thirty for thirty. I and have a renewed appreciation for him. I think he's gotten better. Yeah. I think I don't dislike him as much as I used to. I think he's definitely gotten better. I just get tired of stuff that, like, he and, like, Patino would do. Like, Patino would always be like, well, this is the best shooting team I've seen since, like, 1972. Yeah. Like, yeah. Easy on that. Yeah, come on, man. <laughs> Mike Mayer is the best shooter coming out of high school I've ever seen. Right. Stuff like that. And Calipari does the same thing. Well, this team could win a national title. and Like, yeah. No. Hyperbole is strong. With yeah, just, I, I, get, I get tired of that. And, I mean, that's just the way he is. Yeah. Now, it will be interesting to see the... Um, how Mac and Cal relate, and what that looks like—that'll be really interesting. It's so funny to me because all my all my friends that are UK fans are just like, "I wish Mac would do something to make me dislike him," because I hate <laughs> that I like him so much. I hate that I like Chris Mac so like much, that. and I'm like, I, I, I like that you like. Yeah, him. I'm, I'm glad to keep liking him. I just love the way Cal connects with his guys. Yeah, and you, uh, 
you can't fake how much he loves those dudes and he's there with them and mm-hmm. you know he still talks to all those guys like Boogie and yeah. Anthony Davis and he's still in their lives and he really views himself for a lot of them you know some of those guys have fathers around and stuff but he really views himself as a father for a lot of those guys yeah. and um, I just, I love how he connects with them and you can tell he really now he he's obviously gotten rich off this game but you can tell he's really his job is to be there for those guys. Yeah. So and that I think that and then I don't know if you listened to any of his podcasts at all. His oh, his podcast he, he had some good guests. I mean it was kind of corny. Yeah. A lot of times like yeah. the way he would talk, but it was cool that a lot of those guys agreed. I mean especially the Patino one. I yeah. never would have guessed. Never would have thought that, that making brownies for him and stuff. Yeah, like he was on that episode with him yeah. and they were, but it was funny listening to them two talk because you could definitely tell their age. Because it was almost like listening to the Joby and Danny where they're just like, oh, yeah, what about that old guy down there at the Y down there? And yeah. the, like, why are they talking about this? Like, it, they were just rambling. and never really, like, there was, wasn't any substance to the Patino and Calipari It was just the fact they were talking. Yeah, it was like, this yeah. is weird to even hear them talk. Yes. And I think that's why most people around this area even listen to that episode. Yes. So it was like, I just want to see what they say to each yeah. other. So... Um, other stuff that's happened in the NBA, I mean, we were the free agency. I mean, obviously yeah. it's ramped up. LeBron going to LA, but somebody you just brought up, I think they're the winners of the the winners of the uh, free agency is the Warriors. Yeah, and I hate to say that because I mean, not the biggest fan of the Warriors, but not only do you get rid of Javale McGee, <laughs> but you get the best center in the NBA. Yeah. And Demarcus Cousins, and you get him for five million dollars. Yeah. And not only do you get rid of Javale McGee, you put him with LeBron. It almost feels like they're just trolling the rest of the NBA. Yeah. Like, it's like, like yeah. when I'm I saw fascinated this, to see Boogie play with him because he can step out and shoot three. He made a hundred threes last uh, yeah. the year before last. He is a great passer. That offense with him, if he, when he gets back and if he gets back. Now yeah. the question is, can he come back from this? Because no player in their prime has suffered this injury and come yeah. back to anywhere close of what they were. So it's going to be really interesting to see. Well, it, it is going to be a little bit easier for him, though, because he's not a guy that strictly depends on his athleticism. That's true. Yeah. So that, that I think, is something that works in his favor, whereas I know Kobe wasn't in his prime when it happened to him, but Kobe still depended right. on that burst and that lift yeah. to take his jump shot. Yeah. he. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see also if he buys in. You know, yeah. That's always the question about him. Is he going to be okay with you know some nights taking six shots a game and only playing twenty minutes and not having everything run through him? And is he going to be okay that reporters are going to swarm to Steph and Durant and not him? And yeah. Is he going to feel like you know are his feelings going to be hurt with anything? That's it's going to be fascinating to see. Well, because yeah, if it works, my gosh. It, I mean, <laughs> if if this works, this could be the greatest basketball team that anybody's ever seen. It could. Yeah, I mean, I I don't like them. I don't. I I hate that I'm saying that because yeah. I can't stand the Warriors. Why don't you like them? I just I'm so tired of the of the Warrior love. Okay. I think that Steph Curry is overblown of how great of a person he is when they crap on LeBron for farting the wrong way. I mean, I agree with that. That's nothing. Uh, that, against, that's, that's nothing against Steph, but it's yeah, more it, how it's treat LeBron. it's like come on, like yeah, he's and the then, golden boy. Yeah, and yeah. LeBron can literally stub his toe and like, oh, yeah. well, he should have been wearing steel toe boots. Like, <laughs> you just I get, you. get get over that stuff. And and everyone portrays the Warriors as like, God. What sucks though even more is I love Steve Kerr. Yeah, I love Steve Kerr. Yeah. Like Steve Kerr is he. It almost makes me to where I don't hate him. 
Yeah. Because it's like, I love Steve Kerr Well, so the genius much. move in that signing, I think, also if you look at it from a team building, is that now um, those other guys... So if you watched the Warriors this year, I mean they were yeah. just jacking around for most of the regular season. They were still beating guys. What they win six, you know? They won fifty, like okay. upper fifties, yeah. sixty games. And let's be honest, they were jacking around most of the year. And yeah, guys took weeks off, and but now I think this is going to give them an edge because they're going to have to work to incorporate Boogie into yeah. what they do. They're going to have to see what that looks like, and then also I think they're going to be playing for him. They're going to want to get him a ring. You know, he's he's scored the second most points in NBA history without ever going to the playoffs. That's nuts. Yeah, so, I mean, this guy's dying to win. And he would have played last year, and he, he tears his Achilles yes. right before the All-Star break. Yeah. that's. I mean, that sucks. Yeah, so I think the genius move by Bob Myers and Kerr was signing him and the fact that it's going to keep those other guys engaged a little bit more than they would be during the regular season. Yeah, I mean, and it's it's also easy to keep your guys engaged when you get the best player in a position. I mean, before his injury, yeah. That helps. It's like, oh, yeah, we get to keep our guys engaged and we get a great player. Yeah. yeah. So uh, I've, I've brought I brought them up, I mean, another another couple teams. Now, I wasn't a big fan of the Levine sign with the Bulls thing. Yeah. I think they paid him way too much. But I did like the Jabari Parker sign. Anytime you one up the uh, – the, uh... Sacramento Kings, yeah. you've got a problem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, like their their track record of, of signing and drafting is a little suspect. So when you're yeah. like, oh, the Kings want them, we got to up them on this one. So, I mean, that – now, I think I don't think they made up for the Levine thing by getting Jabari, but I thought they did really well in getting yeah, Jabari. That was a good Which I, I think he was going to be there anyway. It's yeah. where he wanted to be. Yeah. Um, the Pacers, I thought, got better. Yes. The Pacers getting McDermott and Tyreek Evans as well as keeping Thad Young. Yeah. I think – they're underrated this this yeah. summer as as, as uh, free agents. The Rockets, uh, they're about to get Carmelo too. Apparently, they okay, Carmelo's I didn't pretty... like what the Rockets did though. Yeah, I, I was gonna say the the Rockets keep Chris Paul, keep uh, Gerald Green, get Michael Carter Williams, but they let it go of Trevor Ariza. Right. Yeah. And it's I don't I don't, I'm wondering if Trevor Ariza kind of saw. A, the writing on the wall of, hey, I'm not young anymore. i got to try to get my money one last yeah. time. Yeah. And I don't think the Rockets were going to have that. Yeah. Now, this may be what more you're referring to. The Capella thing's still out there. You yes. don't know where Capella's going to yeah. go. And I, I can't say that I... One of them's got to meet in the middle if they're going to make it happen. Absolutely. And Capella's like, no, nah, I want it all. And the Rockets are like... We want to give you a lot, but yeah. we still want to win. Yeah. And, like, we can't give you everything and it's still win. Yeah, so let's say he signs a one-year deal for, you know, $20 million or something. He's not going to be happy. No. And you're doing this whole thing all over a year from now. And I yeah. just don't like how Carmelo fits with those guys. I think if you go back and look at last season, I think Carmelo got a lot of bashing for, for something he didn't. This was the first time I felt like since he left Denver that he actually tried to fit in. You do. I do. If okay. you go and look at if you go and look at the playoffs last year, a lot of those games they lost. Yeah. It was Westbrook and George shooting all the shots. Yeah. That last game when they lost what game six to Utah was yeah, I think it was that, in six. That was an abysmal performance. He took seven shots. Yeah. Westbrook took forty and yeah. uh, George took like thirty. Yeah. He took seven shots, but Melo's the one that gets all the blame for that. Yeah. Now I'm not saying that Carmelo was necessarily perfect, and he hasn't always been the greatest teammate. But I think in this aspect, I think that Carmelo, after he got there, I think they were expecting something different yeah. and didn't realize, hey, you know, he's kind of older. Yeah. And Westbrook and George were like, well, we're just going to play our game. Right. If you get shots, you get shots. We're just going to play our game. Yeah. 
and I just don't think he fit in well with them. Now, I think he grew up from it. Again, this is me just assuming. Mm-hmm. I think he grew up from it, and I think he's going to... He, I mean, he's actually friends with Chris Paul yeah. and James Harden. The banana boat. Yeah, the banana boat crew. So, I think it's going to work. I think it would work there. I think it would work with LeBron. I think he would work with D-Wade in, in Miami. I think any of those guys, I think he would work well yeah. with. Yeah. I just don't know... So, you obviously, their entire goal is we got to beat the Warriors. Yeah. I, I don't know who he's going to guard. Yeah. I mean, that, that's been a question his whole career, though. Yeah. That's not just, that's just, not just coming up now. I mean, yeah. I guess you put him on Draymond. That would be my only guess is you put him on Draymond Green. Yeah. And then you got Capella guarding Durant. Well, I, you would have to put Capella on Cousins. Yeah. I mean, that's just – and then you got Harden guarding Clay, and I guess Gerald Green guarding Durant. I mean, you just – the thing is, is Durant may be – actually, he's not maybe. He is the biggest matchup nightmare in NBA history. Oh, yeah. I mean, the guy can handle the ball. He's seven feet tall. I don't know yeah, if you've ever seen the a, picture of him in the Olympics. He's a two-guard. He's literally taller than Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, yes. and he handles the ball yeah. as good as – I'm not going to say as good as Curry because Curry may be one of the best yeah. ball handlers we've ever seen, but he handles the ball as good as any shooting guard. Yes. And can shoot from anywhere. Yeah. And plays the – I mean – he, the dude is a matchup nightmare. His, his defense got a lot better this past year. I thought, I thought he it, really took that. It's challenge. a lot easier when it's a lot easier to guard whenever you have good defenders around you well, too. Yes. So, I I just I don't know. I, I'm not looking forward to see the Warriors win it again. <laughs> which, barring some injury, which I don't ever wish on anyone, yeah. I'm, and that I'm being serious about. I don't wish injuries on anybody. Barring an injury, there's no way they don't win a title. Yeah. Because you literally just won the title, and no one really got better. No. That would that would contend with you. Yeah. The Lakers got better, but they still don't have they the pieces. They for a year. Yeah, and they're waiting yeah. for next year to try to get more. Now, this is – so I'm looking for next year. I'm going to go ahead and make a prediction on here. I want to okay. see your thoughts. Durant will not be in Golden State next year. I would agree with that. Durant and Kyrie will not be in Boston next year. Both of those guys will be in New York with Porzingis. Completely agree. I, I, Kevin I, Knox. I, that's that team is and Mitchell, Mitchell Robinson. Robinson. I mean, a heck of a draft. I, I graded them highly because I thought like even if you lose on Mitchell Robinson, yep. you got him in the second round. Absolutely. Who cares? Yeah, it's like yeah. oh man, we wasted a draft pick on a guy that wasn't that good right. in the second round. Yeah. And now in the summer again, it's summer league. Yeah. Dude looked like a world beater. Yeah. And I think other than. I thought I thought there was a actually this was one of the best drafts I felt like for teams making good decisions, but I thought New York killed it. They did getting Knox at nine and then yeah. getting him in the second round. So I would agree with you on that. And the NBA needs New York, man. Like, oh, having lived do. in New York and going to the Garden, that's a special place. Whoever the guys are that go there and can win, whew. yeah. And, and Durant doesn't want to be back in DC. He's made that known. You know, New York is close to DC and. I, I just don't see I, – I see the Warriors run – it's sunset for the Warriors run. They, yeah. They're going to go down as one of the greatest teams ever. Yeah. Um, but and it's you not see, you see how he's reacting to people online. He's getting tired of getting that. Oh, yeah. He's getting tired of, ca- of catching flack. Yeah. And I think – I mean, he could have signed for an extension. Or he yeah. could have signed for an extended amount of time. Right. But he signed another one plus one. Yeah. I think, I think he's waiting for – and, and another person that could go out there is Jimmy Butler. Yeah. I mean, could you picture that team? You got Porzingis, Jimmy Butler, Kevin Durant, Kyrie, Kevin Knox, Mitchell Robinson, uh, the point guard they got last yeah, year, Frank. Frank yeah. uh, I don't know how to say his last Frenchy name. Frank. Yeah. That, I mean, that's 
that's going to be nuts to be yeah. in, to see that team in New York. But they 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 still have James Dolan, so this could all go <laughs> south very quickly. I'm honestly surprised that New York didn't make a bigger run at LeBron though, with having. Uh, What's his name? Their coach now. I, that's why they hired him. Yeah, but Fisdale. Yeah, David yeah. Fisdale. I love David Fisdale too. I think he got, I think he got axed too soon at Memphis with too. what Memphis had. Yeah, he's a good coach. Um, so part of the show that I haven't done in a little bit okay. is, is a beef. Okay. And I, I told you today I, I got a beef with you. Bring it. And my beef, man, is because you know how big into sports I am. I mean, we yeah. used to when you would coach me, we used to go back and forth with college. Yeah. Where NBA players from the college and stuff, is you sending me all these pictures of you hanging out with these coaches <laughs> and celebrities and stuff? I mean, that's I, that is my that is my beef. I mean, you sent me a picture the other day of you hanging out with Reggie Theus and Cedric the Entertainer. Yeah, and I was like, "Are you kidding me?" Like, I literally texted back, "Are you kidding me?" Yeah, it's like, so I, I had to bring that to the forefront. That's that's a beef of mine, even okay. if it's just a joke, man. I, I'm jealous. I, yeah, I, I don't know what to say to cure your jealousy on that, but uh, <laughs> I'm just going to do me over here. Yeah, right? I, I'm not hating at all. I just I had to bring that up. So, JT, I thank you, man. I uh, love what you're doing, man. So this is great. Yeah, Thanks I'm, for having me on. Absolutely, man. Yeah. Uh, we'll definitely do it again. Yeah. Um, guys, I hope I hope you enjoyed this episode. and got another long one, so I'm sure some of you guys that, that are working and want to pass time, this will help. So. Yep. Maybe you need help going to sleep or something. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> need help with something. So, guys, keep liking, keep sharing. Uh, I'm gonna keep putting these out. I'll have another one probably within the next week as well too. It's just hard to do some of these episodes with just yeah. baseball season. Yeah. It. I mean, I like baseball, but I'm not a baseball connoisseur like some of these other people. I can are. talk Cubs for about eight hours, man. I. But then I, no one would listen to that. Yeah. No, I got a buddy. I got a buddy that would listen to that all day because we have a group text and all he talks about. It's like, well, I was listening to this Cubs podcast. It's like, I'm sure that was interesting, yeah. man. Yeah, I'm gonna go watch my grass grow again. So, uh, but I didn't I haven't get haven't got to bring this up because I haven't had an episode. Did you watch the home run derby? Yes. How unreal was that? Yeah, it's, it's incredible. I mean, that was. I'm I'm glad the home run derby is finally coming back around being funny, yeah. because. When we were kids, I mean, it was like, yeah, Griffey, yeah. McGuire, Sosa, guys like that. Yeah. Now it's like, okay, we're getting home run hitters again yeah. that are fun to watch. Yes. And that championship of Schwarber and... and uh, It was... Bryce Harper. Right. Yeah, the Bryce Harper. Oh, my gosh, man. And my buddy, I was telling you, because I'm, I'm a Nationals fan. Yeah. And my buddy's a Cubs fan. So we were texting back and forth, talking trash before the championship. And, Loved it. I yeah, love that, uh, Schwar- or that uh, Harper's dad was pitching to him, too. That, yeah, was just, that, that dude was cool. jacked. He's a big dude. I didn't that know it was his dad. I'm like, why is his strength coach out there? Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's like holding the trophy like this. Like, <laughs> are you working out right now? Like, what are you doing? Yeah. So, I, I had to bring that up because, I, I, of course, I pull up and I see the big the w, w flag out front. And I'm like, I know that's not George W. Bush. That's the Cubs. <laughs> it's like, oh, man. So, guys, keep liking, keep sharing. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Uh, I'll have another one for you guys here coming up. Um, but keep liking and keep sharing, man. Try to stay cool because it's still pretty hot out here. Thanks for listening. Later. Peace.